Welcome to Unfolding Words, the weekly podcast aimed at sharing biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. I'm your host and Tracy Moorings. How are you today? I hope you are doing well wherever you are, washing dishes, working out, tending to the kids, working in the garden. I pray that this day finds you prosperous, happy, and healthy. So we are going through the Psalms of Ascent, started last week in this mini-series, and today we are going to be looking at one of my favorite Psalms from the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 126. And this Psalm is special to me because I feel like it really speaks to the heart of who God is, the kind of God that we serve. And sometimes I need this reminder that God is a restorer. And maybe you need this reminder too. I'm going to read Psalm 126 out of the CEB, which is the Common English Bible, because I feel like it captures so many nuances of this verse or this psalm that may get lost in other translations. And it reads, When the Lord changed Zion's circumstances for the better, it was like we had been dreaming. Our mouths were suddenly filled with laughter. Our tongues were filled with joyful shouts. It was even said at that time among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are overjoyed. Lord, change our circumstances for the better, like dry streams in the desert waste. Let those who plant with tears reap the harvest with joyful shouts. Let those who go out crying and carrying their seed Come home with joyful shouts, carrying bales of grain. Notice the joy and the singing and just the goodness of God in this psalm. I think I have verses underlined and highlighted, and I even starred this in my Bible because I just love the spirit of restoration that exists in this psalm. This psalm begins with the line, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, this is the ESV version, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. So that line right there lets us know that there's some context that we have to be aware of before we go on with the rest of the verse. So let me give you a little bit of background about this. So beginning with the reign of Saul and through the reigns of David, Israel was a united kingdom. And after Solomon's death, the kingdom was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called the kingdom of Israel, and it included the northern 10 tribes. And the southern kingdom was called Judah, and it included the remaining two southern tribes, which were Benjamin and Judah. And later on, the northern kingdom broke from its union with King Jeroboam as their first king. And he established a new worship system out of the fear that the people would return to Jerusalem in the south to worship the Lord and rejoin the unified kingdom. So he didn't want this. And so he established worship in the northern kingdom that was not similar to what was going on in the southern kingdom. So this led Israel down the path of false worship and idolatry. And so Judah eventually followed suit and sinned and did not obey the Lord through the prophets that were speaking to them. So because of this, the Lord allowed the Babylonian empire 
with King Nebuchadnezzar at his lead to take Jerusalem siege and they went into captivity. Jerusalem was eventually destroyed and the temple was just annihilated completely to the ground. So as scripture had prophesied, the Jewish people would be in exile for 70 years before they could return back to their homeland, Jerusalem. And that prophecy eventually came to fulfillment under King Cyrus of Persia, who defeated the Babylonians and eventually allowed the Israelites to return and begin rebuilding the city and the temple of Jerusalem. So this is the background against which Psalms 126 is set. It's known as a Psalm of National Lament. And this is where a group of Psalms express deep sorrow because of the captivity and they ask for God's blessing or intervention. And so this is what we're going to encounter in this Psalm. And so in the beginning, verse one, the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion. We should be like the people of Israel, amazed at how God has helped us in the past. So the notice that is in past tense, the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion, Zion, meaning Jerusalem. The Hebrew word used here, Shiva, it speaks about captivity when it's used by itself. But the expression restored the fortunes is this Hebrew phrase of two words, Shuv Shiva which means to restore the captivity of. And this phrase speaks about God returning something to the way that it was before it was destroyed. So the people want God to restore Jerusalem back to the glorious state that it was before it was destroyed as they went into captivity. So this speaks to the fact that the people had come back to Jerusalem and they want their city, their beloved city back just as God promised he would do for them. So verse number one in the ESV says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Imagine when something wonderful happens to you that you've been praying and hoping for, and then it finally comes into fulfillment exactly the way that you imagined it. And when it happens, you can hardly believe it. So you feel like you're dreaming. This was the reaction of the Israelite people. They finally, after 70 years, many of them had passed away. Some of them may have been too young to even know what Jerusalem had been like, but they had heard the stories of Jerusalem, how the glory of God rested there. And now they were returning back and God had restored Jerusalem back to its state. And it was too good to be true, but it was true. It was such an exciting moment in Israel's history. So you can sense that there was an eagerness and an anticipation and that once it was fulfilled, their hearts were just overwhelmed and happy. And when the Israelites were taken away in captivity, they lost their song. They stopped singing. We see in verse number two, it says, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, well, I won't go that far yet. So Their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongues with shouts of joy. The music had died when the people went into captivity. Psalms 137, 1 through 4 said, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows, there we hung our lyres. 
For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? But when they returned, the music came back. Their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongue with shouts of joy. So God revived that joyfulness that they had when they were living in their homeland. So they knew about the prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah that they would return. But to see them actually come true and in the time frame that God had set forth caused their hearts to just overflow with laughter and shouts of joy. This is the kind of joy that is celebratory that you cannot help but to partake of. And verse number three says, the Lord has done great things for us. Wait, let me back up. Verse number two, the Lord has done great things for them. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So the nations were proclaiming the goodness of God among his people. The Gentiles, those who didn't know God, who were not called his people, were looking at God's people to see what would become of them. So they knew they were in captivity. Would God actually fulfill his word and restore them back to the manner that he said they would? And so the nations were the first to proclaim that the Lord has done great things for them. So the other nations became witnesses of God's glorious ability to keep his promises. The Lord himself made his name famous among the nations. So as they watched, they saw that God was able to take care of his people just as he said he would. And then verse number three says, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So after the nations testified, the people themselves testified of the goodness of God towards them. So there was this shock that the promise had come into fulfillment. And then there was this joyful proclamation of what the Lord has done had done for them. Verse number four says, restore our fortunes, O Lord. Now, notice that this is a repetition of verse number one, but it's in the present tense. Verse number one said, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, it's an act that he had already completed. But verse number four is present tense. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. It's a present day plea for God to do again what he had already done. So the word restore means to return in Hebrew. Make it like it was before. It's that same sentiment that was echoed in verse number one. So Israel had found itself somehow in a situation or a crisis where they needed God to rescue and restore them again. The psalmist gave a description about what he meant when he asked for restoration again. And it says, the rest of verse number four says, um, like streams in the Negev, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. So the Negev is a region in Palestine. It's on the southernmost part of Palestine. And it's also referred to as the streams in the south. And the name comes from a word that means to be dry and very parched. In this region, it was very dry it's, it was like a desert. And so they're asking for God to rain down on them like the rain comes down when it does in that region. So when it did rain, it would be a torrential downpour, meaning that the rain would come down so fast that the water would 
overflood its banks. It was such an overabundance of what was lacking. And so the psalmist is asking God to restore the fortunes like these torrential downpours that happen in this region. So what was the land like before they were exiled? That's what we have to know and understand when the psalmist is asking for restoration, he's asking it to be returned to its former state. And so what was Israel like before? Back to the time of Abraham, when he gave the promise of the land, God promised land to Abraham, and he continually gave this promise to the patriarchs. And the Lord described this land as the promised land, a place flowing with milk and honey, meaning that the soil be fertile, that there was a bounty awaiting his people. So it was a place where their livestock would be able to find pasture and prosper, and the people would be able to farm the land and live off of it in a way that would sustain them. So the psalmist here is asking the Lord to not only restore the people to the land, but restore the fortunes back to the land, restore that milk and honey back to the land, to restore it, to return it back to the way it was before. It's at this point where the psalmist is believing that the Lord can do it again. And we have to be that way too. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, you have to go back to when the Lord restored, when he already did it. And in your present plea, ask for God to do which you know that he's already done before. Verse number five says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So the request was to bless the land as the streams in the south or as the streams in the Negev. So that first group of exiles who came, they had a lot of hard work to do. They were starting from the ground up and had to rebuild from the ruins, basically. So God had promised that he would send rain and harvest if the people kept his commands. We see this promise continually in the Old Testament. If you obey me, I will rain down blessings on you, blessings in the form of precipitation, what they needed for their land at this time. Verse number six says, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. In ancient Near East times, the farmer would sow in tears over this land that had been torn down and broken and not knowing whether or not a crop would produce. But he could trust that he would reap with joyful shouting because God had already restored the fortunes of Zion. So the people who returned would have to be totally dependent on God to help them to restore the land. They had to depend on God to send the rain to help them to cultivate the land. So they had to know that God will be faithful to what he commanded that he would do. In verse number six, when it says he who goes out weeping, the verse literally means he who goes, he comes, he goes, he comes and he goes. So this repetition is implying that there's no end of the weeping as he's going. It's continual. So as there's no end to the weeping, there shall be no end to the joy on the other end. He shall bring home sheaves with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is a continual thing. You see, the bringing is a continual action. The pleasure of reaping begins 
with sorrow, begins with going out and weeping and bearing the seed for sowing. So what is a sheaf? A sheaf is when the grain is reaped. It's laid in handfuls on the back of the reapers to be gathered by others. And then it would be tied up or bound up into these large sheaves. So that's the picture that we can see here is that the individual who had returned from exile back into Jerusalem had sowed for years in captivity, but now they were reaping the blessings of God's promise as a return to their homeland. This is why they could shout with joy, just like the one who gets a harvest after not knowing if the rains are going to come, if the land is going to be cooperative. When that harvest comes, there's shouts of joy. They're praising God for the bounty. So see how God restored in the past. And it was such a miraculous restoration that the people who were living it thought that it was a dream. They could hardly believe it. And as a result, their mouth was filled with laughter and shouts of joy and their singing returned back to them. And those who witnessed it around them noticed it and testified of it. And then the people who experienced it were like, oh, yes, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad right now. But there was still this continuous restoration that needed to happen. So that was why there's this current plea, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the stream. That miraculous restoration that happened in verse number one, they're asking for it to happen again. And all of the pain that they went through turned into a glorious, bountiful harvest. And it's the same for us. After God brought back the captive ones, there was this remembrance that was marked by joy. The Lord has done great things for us. We have to remember what God has done for us, even as we're currently requesting God to restore our fortunes right now. We have to remember what he's already done. And I'm preaching to myself here. I have to remember what God has already restored, the fortunes he's already blessed me with. He can and will do it again. So might there be some dry, fallow land that seems like it cannot bring forth any fruit ever again in your life or in your situation? Maybe you feel like your money's dried up, your job is dried up, your opportunities, your relationships, you just name or add something to the list. You feel like it cannot be restored. But one thing about God is that he is in the restoration business because he takes what seems like it can never produce again. Jerusalem had been utterly destroyed, burned down. All of the goodness of the temple, all of those wonderful decorations that Solomon had built up had been utterly destroyed. The people had been taken away and there was no one to cultivate the land. So it fell into ruin. Going back seemed almost insane for most people. But because God was going to be there and his people were going to be there, restoration was possible. So we have to not have this mindset thinking that we have to throw everything away. We have to throw this relationship away. We have to throw this job path away. We have to throw away this goal because it looks like there's no fruitfulness in it. God can restore. He brings dead things back to life. That's what he does. He's done it time and time again from the Old Testament to the New. 
Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. We have to remember that. If you go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, you will come home with shouts of joy, bringing your sheaves with you. Don't worry about the harvest or the growth of the seed. That's not our job. That's God's job. We simply carry the seed and plant it. God will send the rain when things are not going well, when it looks like things are dried up, like the Negeb, a dry desert, the soil is so hard it won't produce anything. We have to trust that God can send a torrential downpour when we least expect it. We have to know that our banks will run over. We have to know that the sheaves will be so plenteous. We'll have to ask people to help us carry them. God is in the restoration business. Look what he did with Saul. He took a murderer and turned him into one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, totally turned his life around. Look what he did with Simon, turned him into Peter, one of the apostles who was one of the most miraculous signs of what Jesus can do when we're called to do a work. God turns things around. He's in the restoration business. So I pray that you go and read this psalm and be encouraged, meditate on it, write it out, memorize it, and remember that this is who God is. This is his heart, not just for those in the Old Testament or in the Bible, but this is his heart for us as well. That's it for this episode of Unfolding Words. So join me back here next week for another look at the Psalms of Ascent. Until then, I pray that God's word will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.